Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. All right, can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm thankful to be here. Um, Emma was just asking me earlier, how am I feeling today? And I was like, I'm, I'm nervous, as always. Whenever I speak, I'm just always like, um, I just always making my hand move and my hands get sweaty and everything. But um, I think I'm extra nervous today because I wanted to share to you just a really personal part of my spiritual journey. Um, I hadn't planned to until I started just uh, meditating more on the passages that Ryan assigned to me on the Psalms of Ascent, and today I'm going through two of them, Psalm 123 and 124. And so before I begin this, um, I want to share a disclaimer, uh, a trigger warning, if you may, um, that I will be talking about um, sexual abuse and exploitation. And so... If you'd rather not be in this room and listen, there's no shame in walking out at any point. Um, I know that the subject matter induces anxiety, including, you know, with me. Um, And so when Ryan assigned uh, um, these passages, I immediately thought, oh, crap, I'm going to go a different direction. But the more I tried to go a different direction, the more I realized that these um, psalms have have had such a profound impact in my own life. And I think part of it is that it helped me to read the Psalms and Scripture in a whole new light. Oftentimes, Psalms were used for me to, like, open it up so that I can um, receive something from the Lord. So that if I was going through some kind of hard time in my life, I would just have this, like, beautiful Psalm to bring um, healing and refreshing and, and just, you know, personal growth. But I began to read the Psalms in a different way. Um, Not as a self-help book, but as a way to draw me closer to the story of God. It became more invitational. It wasn't about me centering myself in the Psalm or the, the story of Scripture, but seeing that God was at the center of the story and that God, in sharing all these Psalms of lament and all these other stories and parables and prophecies was actually giving me a grander vision of what was happening in the world, and in so doing, God was inviting me to participate in that. And so in Psalm 123, we um, have this beautiful, beautiful psalm that is, is very difficult. And it starts out by saying, To thee I lift up my eyes, O thou who art enthroned in the heavens. And that's a familiar thing because we've seen this in the Psalms of Ascent before. Of a psalmist trying to like look, look up and lifting their eyes. And in this case, it's seeing God enthroned in the heavens. And in, in this, it's like this, this understanding of, of who God is. And then there's two similes that are introduced. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hands of their master... As the eyes of a maid to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes look to our Lord God until he will have mercy upon us. And so here's, you know, this this prayer now, and and it's it's now the psalmist saying, this is my posture as I look to you, God. 
My posture is one of like a servant towards the, the, the master or as a mistress, as a maid is towards her mistress. It's, it's one of, of utter desperation. It's, it's a statement that I am unable to help myself and therefore I need you. There's this power differential that is, is coming into play. And, and so we're, in the beginning, we're trying to figure out what's causing this, this prayer by the psalmist. Why is this prayer happening? And in verse 3, we find out, and the psalmist says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For he, we have had more than enough of contempt. Too long our soul has been see, see, um, sated with scorn. Of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. And so here we find out that the problem is that, that they are feeling contempt, they are feeling scorn. And where's this contempt and scorn coming from? It says, from those that are at ease, the contempt of the proud. And if you look at these words in Scripture, especially when they're paired together, it's, it's describing people who are powerful and especially rich. People who were at ease are people who were comfortable, who were able to kind of relax, and, and you see them kind of like, in a sense, vacationing. And, and, and the psalmist is saying there's these people who have ability and privilege and, and are treating me with contempt as if I'm, I'm less than human. I'm being treated as, as, as someone that, that is belittled, that someone that doesn't bear the image of God. And so the psalmist is crying out to God and saying, God, have mercy upon me because I'm, I'm, I am being oppressed by, by this, this group of people. And so when we hear psalms like this, honestly, this theme is presented throughout the, the psalms, through the prophets, throughout all of Scripture. It's not uncommon. We see it especially spelled out in Psalm 10. When the, the psalmist is, is crying out, You, O Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that the mere earthly mortal, mortals will never strike again. Jesus himself, in starting out his public ministry right after his baptism, he enters into a synagogue and opens the scroll of Isaiah and presents basically his mission statement in the form of Scripture. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so from the outset, Jesus is saying that I am here because of psalms like this. Because there are thousands upon thousands of people that are crying out to God and asking God, have mercy. Because I am in such a terrible plight. There is no resolution. And in the psalm, it ends basically there. There's, there's no resolution in the psalm. There's no victory parade. The psalmist basically saying, I'm in a horrible, miserable situation. God, have mercy on me. And so how do I read this text as a person who was living at ease in the 21st century? Is this text meant to center myself and my own experiences, or is it inviting me to listen to the experience of the original author? 
And if it's the latter, then how do I do that? I remember a few years back, a few of us from my old church tried to figure out what passages like this meant. We, we knew that God was like inviting us to what God cared about. That Jesus himself even said that, you know what, I'm, I leave the 99 and go after the one. Rich people help those who, who are poor. I mean, it's this constant theme of scripture. If you, if you find people that are hurting, lean towards that. And so we began to try to figure out, God, who was praying this prayer of desperation today? Who are the marginalized and those seeking after God for justice and liberation? And so we began to visit food banks. We began to distribute food for the elderly that didn't have a means to go to the grocery store. We began to volunteer with Habitat for Humanity and, and help renovate apartments so that people who are in need of housing you know, can have a place to stay. We, we were basically trying to like, get close to where the prayers were. And then one week, Jessica, one of the women at our church, invited a group of us. And Delilah, Lila, our um, worship leader today, you know, we, we go back, you know, to our old church, and, and she was part of that group. And we decided to do a book study by Gary Hagen, who was the founder and director of International Justice Mission. And he wrote a book entitled Justice for All, where in this book he began to account all the kind of present-day atrocities that were happening. And, and he began to quote the Psalms, you know, like, like Psalm 10 and Psalm 123. And in this book, he cited the fall issue of National Geographic where it exposed the world to the hidden problems of modern-day slavery. And they surmised that now there are approximately 27 million slaves today. That's today. And there's another um, slide that I want to show up by the Polaris Project that says 20.9 million people are victims of human trafficking around the world. More than the populations of New York, Chicago, Miami, Houston, and L.A. combined. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't fathom that amount of people that are actually in this present day enslaved due to human trafficking. That, that's beyond my ability to grasp because in my mind, I, I remember thinking there is no slavery today. And it's just about in every country, it is illegal, it is outlawed, but that doesn't stop evil people from perpetuating this violence. And it's a deep, deep problem that's happened. And so as we read this book, we, this small group of us meeting at Cerritos Town Center were like asking God, God, why are we so ignorant to what's happening in the world? And so we decided to write a letter to International Justice Mission, and Jessica wrote a, a letter to Washington, D.C., where their headquarters was. And, and they said, you know, and we basically told them, hey, we're a little church in La Mirada, California, and we want to do what we can to help. And so they sent a letter back, and they said, well, if you want to go anywhere in the world, we actually have a need in the Philippines. And I remember, great, I love the Philippines, you know. Um, you know, we're willing to help out there. <clears throat> and so as we got this letter back from one of the leaders of International Justice Mission in the Philippines, she, um, 
she wrote us, and then I, I responded back to her and with my name, and I introduced myself as the pastor of this church. And she did this interesting thing. She responded back to me. Again, the director of IJM in Philippines, one of the directors. And she said to me, and, you know, as a Filipina lady, Kuya Danny, it's me, May. I used to come to your church when I was at Biola. And I was like, oh, my goodness. God, what are you doing here? And so as we began to talk, she gave us the green light for a small group of people from our church to begin traveling to the Philippines. And as we went to the Philippines, I had been there numerous times and had never been exposed to all the brothels and child trafficking that was going on. And I remember being taken um, through the streets of Cebu. And this lead investigator was telling us, you know, in that building, there's about 80 minors. In that building down the street, there's about 40. In this building to our right, there are about 60, you know, minors that are, are there being sold into um, sexual slavery every, you know, every night. And I, I remember just feeling like, how can this possibly be? This is like such an impossible thing. Why don't, if you know where they are, why don't you go in there and, and get them out? And they said that's a question that we're always asked. And they said the reason why we don't do that is because we've tried that before. That whenever we go in and, and do this raid, if we have nowhere to put them, then those girls are brought straight back there and, and it just never ends. And so what we desperately re need right now is a place of, of rehabilitation, some kind of housing that we can have to take all these girls because unless we have that place, we will do no raids. It just won't happen. And so as a church, we, uh, we, we got together and we were like, God, you know, what can we do? And and the elders and, and the leaders of this group were all like trying to pray together. And God, we, we hear, we, we imagine these girls praying, God have mercy because we are being treated with scorn. God, what can we do? And we had this like savings account that we had been building up for years and we realized, you know, we wanted to um, at some point buy a property or, or lease a property long term. We had at this point been renting different, you know, facilities, you know, and moving every few years and we like desired a place of our own. But as we heard and began to experience what was going on in the Philippines, we knew that something had to happen. And I remember clearly one of my other visits back to the Philippines. I was um, with the lead investigator. And for some reason, he decided to bring me into one of the brothels. He told me, Danny, don't say a thing. Let me do all the talking. And as we pretended to be someone we weren't, we um, were brought up these um, dark flight of steps down the hallway into a room that was dark. And as we got into the room, this man um, turns on a switch, and behind this, like, large window, the lights turned on, and all of a sudden you've seen maybe 20-plus 
miners get up from where they were sleeping and they just kind of perked up, trying to fix themselves. And I was shocked. They had numbers, each one of them. There was no names. And I was supposed to pick a number. Um, I, I, I wanted to like pick up a chair next to me and just like throw it on the window and just smash it and, and try to bring all the girls out. Everything in me was just like, God, what in the world is happening here? But as, as we went out of that place, um, I kept thinking about my own children. I was thinking about my daughter. I was thinking about all the kids of our church and thinking, how is this even possible that in this day and age this is happening? But this, this, is, this is a reality. There is evil, there is violence, there is injustice. And so, and so when I read prayers like Psalm 123, it's not coming from the sanitized place. It's coming from an orchestra of people throughout the world saying, God, have mercy on us because we are being dealt with scorn. God, help us because right now we have no way out. And the only way we can get out is someone more powerful, a deliverer, someone merciful will we'll listen to our cries and and help us to get out of this place of despair. And so Psalm 123, I imagine, was a prayer prayed probably and paraphrased by these girls many times over, but it's the same prayer that has been prayed thousands of years by multitudes of people across generations and nations who experience various forms of violence from poverty and homelessness to exploitation and indentured servitude, to, to people just trying to escape the ravages of war. There are countless people who are praying this kind of prayer every day. Even in Long Beach, as, as Barbara shared about Precious Lamb, and you know, it's a ministry to help uh, parents experiencing homelessness. To have a place to send their kids while they're trying to go to school and stuff like that. These moms and dads are like praying, God, will you help me because in this world I'm being judged. I'm being judged because I'm homeless. I'm, I'm being judged and people I know are looking at me and saying, why don't you get a job? And, and they're saying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to get out of poverty and help my kids but the system, for some reason, isn't working for them. This prayer is being prayed over and over again, even in our own backyard. And so as a church, I remember thinking, what can we do? How do we, like, help out? And so I told the church, well, we have our, we have our savings. And so on one Sunday, we committed to giving half of all of our savings away. And we recognized that this is God's money. And sure, it would be nice to have a building, but right now, there are girls who are stuck. 
And so we told IJM, hey, we're willing to be that church that initiates this. I remember the lead investigator kind of like looked at one of our, uh, Jessica, like, like with suspicion and said, you know, you know how many mega churches we've had come to visit us in Philippines and, and they do the tour and just go home? And he basically said to her, we won't believe it until we see it. But we knew that this was something God was calling us to do. And so um, Delilah, you know, was part of the, uh, that team and she became our our chief fundraising board member, and within a few months, she did this phenomenal job of organizing all these banquets and fundraisers. And within about a year, we were able to open up a facility. And throughout the years, we've been able to um, house so many people. And if we can have the slides of my refuge house, James. Um, each of these homes houses about six girls each, and right now there's five of these kind of homes. And and we didn't want to put them into this big room with that, where they felt like it was this institution. Each of these homes has, has a mother, a house parent, where they can feel like family to one another. And if we can go to the next slide. And then we had this transitional facility. As the girls get older, this was the place where we would provide like education and, and trying to get them jobs and everything like that. And it became like this beautiful place where we were starting to see healing take place. And it's amazing to me, it's going on to its 14th year. I'm no longer on the board. I served there for about seven years. My wife and I still supported another part of it and went to their 10-year anniversary. And I'm telling you, it's just a place that is so beautiful. Because we know that... Um, Something happened to this group of people who were praying, God, help us to listen to the things you hear. And help us, God, to do whatever we can to make a difference, and that's what happened. And so Psalm 123, if Psalm 123 is a cry of desperation, Psalm 124, there's a shift that takes place. And Psalm 124 it becomes now a cry of, of liberation and celebration. But there's a huge gap between Psalm 123 and 124. Psalm 123 kind of ends there, and it's meant for us to stay there, right? It's meant to, for us to like look around, God, where is, your, where is your help coming from? But eventually the prayer of hope is that God's help will eventually come, and so Psalm 124 is there, when it does happen, and the psalmist is now saying, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the, the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's a prayer of celebration that somehow God delivered us, that we were able to escape, 
We were able to escape as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Now, now read that from the context of people who have been like on the run from enemies, right? Read that in its original context of people who've experienced slavery and oppression. And this is like this cause of celebration. Psalms like this isn't just meant for this personal self-help. It's for us to look back into history and see what God has done. And to see that God is still trying to do the same things today. And how do we as a group of people, a community here in Long Beach, pay attention to that story? How do we do that? You know, when I went back to, uh, to Philippines early on, you know, after we opened our first facility, you know, we hired a person that was involved with International Justice Mission, this precious godly man by the name of Russ. And he, like, was the director of the facility for about a year. And so I met him there, and began to, he began to introduce me to the girls. And, you know, I remember talking to a girl who must have been about 15 years old. And I asked her, you know, you've been here for about a month now. How's it been like for you? And she looked at me, and she says, you know what, with... Um, and she looked over at Russ. She said, this is the first time I remember a man look at me with a gaze of fatherly love. Because every time a man like, looked at me before, and she changed her face, she like, said, they always like, wanted something. This is the first time that a man is actually looking at me to care for me. And she showed me a, a drawing. She had this picture of flowers and a picture of uh, the facility. And guess what she wrote? passage she wrote in that photo, in that drawing, it was Psalm 124. And it was specifically these last verses. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us a spray to their teeth. We have escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This girl, for some reason, was able to find the psalm and say, this is going to be my psalm in this picture because I identify with it. This is me celebrating my new life. And it was just so moving and so powerful and helped me to see that these psalms aren't just like Little quotes. They're not just these things we, we write on bookmarks, you know, to kind of flippantly fill around. These are stories from the past, stories that are being meant to be echoed today. If only we as the people of God would decenter ourselves from the story of Scripture, 
Center God back in there. Center back the mission of Jesus calling us to leave the 99 and go after the one. But it takes intentionality. It takes us being willing to do the uncomfortable thing and asking God, is my heart cold to the people who don't belong to my circle? Am I the kind of person that when I see someone in the streets, I try to figure out a way to look the other way? God, would you help us to see the image of God and people so that my heart wouldn't be indifferent to the needs of those who are crying out to you because people are always crying out to God. And unless we pay attention, put our ears close to the ground, and more than that, move into the vicinity of people who are praying those prayers, to weep with them, to get to know them, to rejoice with them, then it's going to be hard for us to make sense of any of these psalms. You know, one of the things I discovered in this process is that God began to open my eyes to so much more needs that were going on, not just in Cebu, Philippines, but throughout my, the world, throughout my, back, you know, my own backyard. You know, I discovered the plight of LGBTQ kids who experience homelessness in far greater degree than any other, you know, youth community. Because LGBTQ kids, you know, they are being abandoned by their own families and because they're experiencing homelessness, they have a greater susceptibility to um, having to force themselves into sex work. Yes, children. And that's happening right here. But unless we pay attention again, we won't hear. We won't know. But in this process, I began to realize that God was not calling us to be saviors and rescuers. But in the process, God was actually doing something quite incredible. He was rescuing me. He was rescuing me from indifference, from apathy, from being a person that was unloving and just living at ease, only caring about what I'm going to do on the weekend or on my next holiday. He was helping to enlarge in my heart and therefore was helping to be, me to live like Jesus. And this is why, this is why God is like calling us to listen and to pay attention. This is why Barbara's ask, you know, passing around the basket not to guilt trip us into anything. But it's, it's spiritual formation, right? It's trying to help us to be the kind of people that God intended us to be, to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And so when we give, when we... When we come alongside this, this cold, hard heart begins to soften. And in our own life, we begin to experience liberation. And I would even use the word salvation. 
It's saving ourselves from us into a world that is far greater. I was at the Dodger game last Wednesday. Um, and I'll end with this. There was a quote um, that was up on the screen in between the innings, um, quoting Tommy Lasorda, who um, was the manager of the Dodgers for many years, beloved manager. And the quote said... Um, of, Tom, of that Tommy Lasorda, was, it said it was his favorite quote. He said there are three types of people in the world. The ones that make it happen, the ones that watch it happen, and the ones that say, what happened? I love that quote. And I think it, it relates to everything we've said today. Because there are different kind of people, and I pray that we as a church aren't the ones that find out about something and say, hey, what happened? And so honestly, as I share this message, um, I have no idea. I have no idea what to do as a church. I know there are people crying out to God. And I know that I've been starting to meet with different people in the community that are saying, Danny, we got to do something. Let's begin to talk. And so, you know, you know Trisha and I are going to start meeting and going to the um, homelessness center in Long Beach and try to figure out, like, you know, what is happening in the city. And there are a few others that are saying, hey, you know, justice is an important work. We got to do something. I know for me, as a new person in this community, I feel like this is like just the beginning of something. But I wanted to share to you my own story to share that I believe that God can do great things. I believe that God can move our community. And whatever that might be, I pray that we have the posture of listening, of humility, and willing to say, God, here I am. Here we are, send us. Would you use us? Would you help us not to be so concerned about our church's survival that we forget what is most important? Because it's not about just trying to build up right, what happens here on Sunday mornings or whatever that might be. But it's about stepping out and being the hands and feet of Jesus and so doing, finding out that God is rescuing us. And so I pray that we would enter into a season of listening, of patience, of prayer, and in the process begin to walk in these places that when we say, hey, we've got something going on, begin to explore. Like volunteer with New Hope Grief Counseling, you know, and, and listen to the pain. Because when you listen to the pain, that's a good indication where God is begin entering those places, and I know God will do something wonderful. Let's pray. God, as we are in this room, imagine now that there is a little child who is praying a prayer of salvation, who is saying, God, have mercy. I imagine there is an elderly person who doesn't know where his next meal will come from. Saying, oh Lord God, have mercy.
I imagine there are women who are being abused and exploited. Saying, oh Lord God, have mercy. I imagine there are so many different minorities who are being oppressed, who are just kind of flee, escape. I imagine there are people who are kind of like, just get to a better place, praying, Lord, have mercy. And so, God, we pray in solidarity with them. Lord, have mercy.